Chapter Two of Thy Soul Shall Bear Witness by Selma Lagerlöf. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Chapter Two, The Birth of a New Year. On this same New Year's Eve, but so late that it was night and quite dark, three fellows were sitting drinking ale and schnapps in the little shrubbery surrounding the city church they had thrown themselves down on a withered grass plot beneath some lime trees the black branches of which gleamed with moisture earlier in the evening they had gathered together in a tap-room but after closing time they sat out of doors as they knew that it was new year's eve and for that reason they had betaken themselves to the shrubbery they wanted to be near the steeple clock so as not to miss hearing when it was time to drink a toast to the new year they were not sitting in darkness but had abundance of light from the gleams thrown on the shrubbery by the electric lamps in the surrounding streets two of them were old and down at heel a couple of unlucky tramps who had slunk into the town to swill up the coppers they had amassed by begging the third was a man somewhat past thirty he like the others was very shabbily dressed but he was tall and well built and seemed to be sound of limb and stalwart they were afraid of being discovered and driven off by the police and that was the reason of their sitting close together so that they might talk in low tones almost in whispers the younger fellow was doing the talking and the other two were listening with such rapt attention that they let the bottles be for a long while undisturbed once upon a time i had a chum said the speaker and his voice took a serious almost eerie tone while a gleam of cunning lit up his eyes who was always quite unlike his usual self on new year's eve not because he had on that day gone through his big account books and was dissatisfied with his year's profits but simply because he had heard tell of something dangerous and mysterious which might befall anybody on that day i assure you friends that he used to sit silent and anxious from morning to night and would not once look at a drink he was not a moody man otherwise but it would have been as impossible to get him out on a new year's eve for a little spree such as this as it would be for one of you to be hail fellow well met with the lord lieutenant ah uh, well i suppose you are wondering what he was afraid of it was something of a job to get that out of him but on one occasion however he told me what it was perhaps you would not care to hear it to-night it does feel a bit dismal in a shrubbery like this which likely enough may have been a graveyard in bygone days what do you think as the two tramps naturally protested that they did not know what it was to be afraid of ghosts he proceeded to tell the story he had come of a rather superior class this man i am telling you about he had been a student at Uppsala university so he knew a little bit more than fellows like us you see and mark you gentlemen he kept sober and quiet on new year's eve simply so as not to get mixed up in a fight or expose himself to the risk of any accident 
and so come to die on that day he did not care a rap if he met his death on any other day whatsoever provided only that nothing fatal befell him on new year's eve for in that case he believed that he would be made to drive the death cart the death cart repeated his two hearers together in a tone of interrogation the tall fellow amused himself by wetting their curiosity asking them if they really wanted to hear the story just where they were sitting but they were eager for him to go on with it well this friend of mine he continued always used to assert that there is an old old cart of the sort which peasants use for carrying their goods to market but so dilapidated that it never ought to exhibit itself on the king's highway it is so bespattered with mud so dusty and dirty that one can hardly see what it is made of its shafts are flawed its fellies sit so loosely that they rattle the wheels have not seen grease within the memory of man and creak in a way to drive one crazy its bottom is rotten and the driver's cushion is tattered and torn and half the back of the seat has been broken off and this cart has an old old horse that is one-eyed lame and grey with age in mane and tail it is so skinny that its spine sticks up like a saw beneath its skin and all its ribs can be counted it is stiff-legged lazy and ill-disposed and moves no faster than a young child crawls for the horse there is harness that is worn out and moth-eaten it has lost all its buckles and clasps and the pieces are joined together with odds and ends of sail twine and birch twigs it cannot boast a single boss of brass or silver but only a few spares tassels of yarn which are a disfigurement and not an ornament the reins are in keeping with the harness for they consist solely of knot upon knot they have been mended so often that nobody can make any further use of them he got up and reached out his hand for the bottle perhaps give his audience time to reflect on that they had heard perhaps you think this sounds too much like romancing he said resuming his story but see the fact is that besides the harness and the wretched reins there is a driver who sits crooked and loathsome on the tattered seat and drives the old horse he is blue-black on the lips and grey-blue on the cheeks and his eyes are as sombre as broken mirrors he is clad in a long black stained monkish habit with a cowl which he pulls down over his face and in his hand he holds a blunt and rusty scythe in a long handle and mark you the man who sits driving with those reins tied together is no ordinary driver but is in the service of a grim master whose name is death night and day he needs must fare on his master's errands directly anyone is doomed to die understand that friends it is his duty to be on the spot he comes rattling along in his creaking old cart as fast as the lame horse can drag him 
the narrator paused and tried to get a glimpse of his companion's faces when he discovered that they were as attentive as he could possibly desire he went on with his story you have possibly seen some picture or other of death and you have perhaps noticed that for the most part he goes on foot that is not death himself but only his driver look you one might think that so high and mighty a lord may be will garner none but the very finest crops and will leave to his driver the care of the poor little straws and the weeds that grow by the wayside but now you must pay attention to the most curious thing in this story well the legend is that though there is always the same cart and the same horse to make the rounds in this particular business yet it is not always the same driver that grim figure will be the last man or woman who dies during the year the one who gives up the ghost just as the clock strikes twelve on new year's eve and is foredoomed to become death's driver his corpse will be buried like all other corpses but his wrath must don the monk's habit grasp the scythe and journey round from one house of death to another for a whole year till he or she is released on the next new year's eve he ended his story and gazed at his undersized companions with a look of crafty expectation he noticed that they were looking in a fruitless effort to see what time the church clock was pointing to the clock has just struck a quarter to twelve he informed them so you need not have the slightest doubt that the fateful hour has come now perhaps you understand what it was that my friend dreaded nothing except that he might die just when the clock struck twelve on new year's eve and that he might be compelled to become the ghastly driver i have told you about all that day i believe he used to sit and imagine that he could hear the death cart creaking and rattling and mark you gentlemen the curious part of it is that he is said to have died last year on that very same new year's eve did he die immediately before the new year was ushered in all i know is that he died on new year's eve but i've never found out the exact time well well i might have predicted that he would die at that very hour because he sat worrying himself about it if you two got that idea into your heads likely enough the same fate would overtake you the two puny fellows as if by mutual agreement each clutched the neck of a bottle and took a long pull after which they began slowly and awkwardly to stagger to their feet but friends surely you would never dream of going your ways before the stroke of midnight cried the narrator when he saw that he had succeeded all too well in frightening them i can never really believe that you attach the least importance to such an old wife's story as this bear in mind that my friend was rather a weakling not like us of good sound old swedish stock come now will you take a drink and sit down again it will i think be just as well he went on 
when he had got them down on the grass for us to keep our seats this is the first place where i've had a rest since morning everywhere else i was attacked by the salvation army people who want me to go to sister edith who so they say is dying but i made excuses nobody for choice would let himself in for such a beastly sermonizing as i should get the two tramps their brains clouded by their last heavy pull at the schnapps bottle both bounced up at hearing sister edith's name mentioned and asked if she was the one who was managing the slum rescue in that town yes right enough she's the one replied the younger man she has been honoring me with her special attentions all this year i hope she isn't one of your intimate acquaintances in which case your grief would be terrible it was not unlikely that the two tramps retained some recollection of a kindness sister edith had shown them they asserted with dogged determination that according to their view of the matter if sister edith wanted to meet somebody no matter who he or she might be it was that person's plain duty to go to her at once ah that is your opinion is it said their companion well i will go if you whose acquaintance with me is somewhat slight and tell me what pleasure it would give sister edith to meet me neither of the two vagabonds condescended to answer his question all they did was to insist on his taking himself off and when he repeatedly refused to do so and got irritated with them they flew into such a violent rage as to declare that if he would not go of his own accord they would give him a sound thrashing thereupon they got on their feet and rolled up their coat-sleeves to attack him their adversary who was quite aware that he was the biggest and strongest man in the whole town was moved with a sudden sympathy for the wretched weaklings if you must needs have it that way he cried of course i am ready whenever you please but i venture to say that i think gentlemen that we might as well make up this quarrel especially if you bear in mind what i have just told you the tipsy fellows hardly knew what had upset their tempers but their lust for battle was whetted and they hurled themselves on their companion with clenched fists so confident was he of his superiority that he did not trouble to stand up but remained sitting on the ground he merely stretched out his arms and warded off his adversaries right and left as if they had been a pair of puppies but like puppies they returned to the attack and one of them managed to deal the big man a doughty blow on the chest the moment afterwards the latter felt something hot rising in his throat and filling his mouth as he was aware that one of his lungs was gone he suspected this to be the start of a hemorrhage he stopped fighting and threw himself on the ground while a stream of blood gushed over his lips this was of itself a grave misfortune but what rendered it almost irretrievable was that his companions when they felt the warm blood spraying over their hands and saw him sinking down on the ground believed that they had murdered him and took to flight he was left deserted the hemorrhage 
it is true gradually ceased but directly he made the slightest effort to rise the blood welled forth again it was not a particularly cold night but the dampness and chill began to torture him as he lay prostrate on the ground he had a feeling that he was likely to perish unless someone came to his rescue and took him to a place of shelter to all intents and purposes he was lying in the very heart of the town and as it was new year's eve there were multitudes of people up and he could hear them walking about the streets that ran round the shrubbery but not a soul entered it he could even hear the murmur of their voices it was hard he thought that he should perish for lack of help when help was so near at hand he lay waiting for a while but the cold tortured him worse and worse and when he realized that it was impossible for him to get on his feet he determined at any rate to shout for assistance just as he was uttering his cry for help the clock in the tower above him began striking the human voice was so completely stifled in that loud metallic clang that nobody noticed his cry of distress the hemorrhage started afresh and it was now so extremely violent that he could hardly help thinking that all the blood in his body was about to leave it if it had not as it seemed already done so it can't really be possible that i am to die now while the clock is actually striking midnight he thought but he had a feeling that he was going out like a burnt-out candle he sank down into darkness and unconsciousness at the very moment that the last booming stroke of the clock died away heralding the birth of the new year end of chapter 2 read by lars rolander